Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take it away, guys. Welcome to a fresh edition of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, everybody. On this Monday, June 22nd, 2020, we took a full time out. Last week and back on the court here, I'm John Fanta coming to you from the west side of Cleveland. Kim Adams is in the Philadelphia area. And Sunday, June 21st, Father's Day has come and gone. And when it comes to basketball, the Adams family is a basketball family, Kim. Part of your love for the game comes from your dad. And I would certainly go along the lines. I know he's got a couple boys, but I know he's proud to be a girl dad to his daughter. And I'm curious... Uh, what was on the Father's Day menu this year, and if you could talk a little bit about big game Bob Adams, a former referee who uh, I know was very inspirational in your love for the game today. Oh yeah, big Bob, the big whistle, as he's known as, John. Well, we had a fun Father's Day because my brother Ryan, who I think you've met a couple times, he is actually a new father. Uh, My niece Libby was born one month ago so we had a new father and then we had my whole family together so we had big bob who's who's a first time grandpa now um but yeah what did we we just kind of had a a low-key barbecue my brother was on the grill we had some uh chicken we had burgers we had some mac and cheese uh i brought the dessert i brought this famous philly pound cake from a place called stocks bakery that i have to get you to try um but it was really fun but yeah big bob he's really how i started to love basketball because as we'll actually talk about a bit in our interview with bill raftery coming up my dad was a men's basketball official for 25 years he also played division one at colgate played professionally overseas for a couple years as well uh but really i i grew up going to the classic big east games that he was refing at the carrier dome up at Providence, at the Garden. Uh, He did 10 NCAA tournaments. So that was, you know, when I was eight years old, elementary school, middle school. That's where I started to love basketball. Uh, That's how I wanted to become a player and just how I I ended up loving the game so much. And now I'm able to continue it on as a career. Um, So a big, big Father's Day shout out to Big Bob, who's a big fan of the podcast as well. So he will appreciate your kind words, John. He's the reason why you are the only broadcast partner I have had that brings in the rule book (laughs) and that knows it from cover to back. 
you know, you know what? He actually has tried to make me take the actual test to become a certified ref. And that's, <laughs> that's where I've had to draw the line a little bit. But you're right. I mean, I have every year because I don't want to let him down because he said there was nothing more frustrating as an official when the broadcasters are criticizing you for a call and they are they don't know the rules and they're talking about the wrong thing. So you're right. Every year I get the new rule book. I study it from front to back. I have little cheat sheets that I bring with me for different foul situations, when we can look at the monitor for reviews, all of that stuff. So that that's something that uh, Big Bob has definitely instilled in me. And I'm glad you recognize that because there's times where it really does come in handy. The power of dads out there. Happy Father's Day to my dad as well, Jerry. We had a good Father's Day had a surf and turf dinner and some ice cream here in Cleveland. Doesn't get much better than that. And happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. Hope you had a wonderful day and weekend. We turn the page to someone who, in your living room, you hear him, if you're a college basketball fan, as much as you hear your dad during the season because he is on almost every day. Why? Because he works with Fox Sports has won a couple Emmys there already, has done it with Turner Sports as well, and now is on the Final Four crew and has been for the last few seasons. And for a long time on CBS, Saturday afternoons would not be what they are in college hoops. In the darkness of winter, he brightens it up without him. It's the one and only, the governor. Enjoy story time with Bill Raftery. Some know him as an Emmy Award-winning sportscaster who has been coming into your living rooms giving you great college basketball moments for over three decades. Others, in particular the New Jersey Sports Writer Association, knows him as their 1979 Coach of the Year. It's Phil Raftery joining us on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Coach, I always call you coach. I, I know every time I talk to you about coaching, you, you say that your memories at Seton Hall were better off at sports bars, though. Uh, well, 79 had to be a bad year in college basketball, I would think, <laughs> with that with that award. But, uh, no, great, great memories of those days. And, you know, I always told the kids of the first two years I was there, that they're the reason, uh, you know, they fought their way and tried to do well. Uh, that the call was, you know, asked by Dave Gavitt to join the conference. So uh, everything's a building block, and those first couple of years were, you know, struggles, but those were the kids that got better, and all of a sudden in the middle 70s got respectable, you know. So uh, even though they weren't there during the heydays of uh, the 80s and 90s, they were very much uh, an important part of it. Raph, so we'll start with a question for you that – We've been asking a number of our coaches who have been on as guests. I guess we're now in about month three, maybe even month four of quarantine now. If you had to pick three current head coaches anywhere in college basketball to quarantine with, who would you choose and why? Uh, Three guys that had good seasons. Uh, (laughs) You know, it'd be easy to deal with. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, I like them all. So any anybody you pick would be fine with me. Well, you're a social guy. How have you coped with distancing over these last couple of months? Well, it's called Kettle One, basically. That, that's a good start. You know, uh, 
cocktail time gets earlier every day, uh, sort of unfortunately. But no, we we, had, we actually ended up having a delightful time here as best you can because my daughter Kelly came down shortly after uh, the Big East tournament finished, and and Susie and her husband and two kids came. So we had them until about a week ago. So almost three and a half, four months. So, uh, you know, it was entertaining with the kids for us, uh, you know, we're in and out of the pool all day long and they had that virtual schooling and, uh, the, the adults had work to do. So they were spread out. So, you know, you do what you have to do. Uh, again, I, I, I mentioned before we got on, uh, the golf course is closed today, but we were able to play here in our County. Uh, so that really gave you some, uh, some relief and in some days comic relief basically how bad you can play or how bad you can be uh so we, we managed it was uh was something you had to do you know we actually had to go up north once uh for a uh, funeral and we ended up uh coming back here we never 14 days we stayed in the house they had a quarantine where you couldn't even you know go off the property uh so that was a little tougher than normal i guess you'd call it but you know, we had bikes here to work out, like, you know, uh, on the property and, uh, just kept busy swinging clubs. And, you know, again, the, uh, having the family here made it a lot easier. I just hope Kettle One's listening because this is a sponsorship in the making. <laughs> well, we, we adjust if you don't have that particular brand, you know, uh, <laughs> we are a man of many tastes, I guess, but, uh, it was, you know, it's amazing that I don't think any of us have ever spent as much time. I know, John, you mentioned you hadn't had Father's Day with your dad in a long time when we spoke early in the day. And, I, you know, I, we see our kids a lot, but nothing like that. You know, we, we miss the ones that weren't here, but we actually got to know the little guys. And uh, it was delightful, you know, sitting down, eating dinner every night at the same time, roughly, and you know, with the kids entertaining us and just something that, you know, it's it's regrettable that this terrible virus has sort of captured the world. Uh, but we, and all, I'm sure, try to make the most of it best you can. And, uh, you know, life, life moves pretty quick. So for us, it was very, you know, very enjoyable to be with these kids and uh, get to know them a little bit better. Raph. One thing people might not know about you is that you were a golf coach at Fairleigh yeah. Dickinson back in the 60s. Yeah, very, very, well, I sort of, not ironically, but uh, my soccer team, or excuse me, I'm watching the soccer here, but my golf team used to be like 10 and 1, 11 and 1. Uh, wow. And my basketball team, unfortunately, was never very good. So my coaching record percentage-wise as a golf coach was far superior <laughs> to my one-loss record in coaching. Uh, but, yeah, it was, you know, we had kids who could play, and we just gave them the meal money and got out of their way, basically. <laughs> and, uh, so you know, we told them where the course was, and then you'd play with the coach of the visiting or home team, depending where you were. But, uh, yeah, I, I actually taught two classes a week of golf. Uh, up at Fairleigh Dickinson and Madison. So I usually was one page ahead of my students, you know, or one par one chapter ahead. 
Sounds like a good gig. And I, I'd like to know, Raph, going back to your, your homeschooling that was going on with the grandkids, what, what was your subject of expertise? What were you teaching the kids? Oh, no, no. I, Grandpa was not teaching them anything. No, they were on a virtual uh, hookup with their school in New York. So, uh, you know, the parents and Joan, my wife was a teacher as a, as a young lady, and uh, you know, she'd pitch in and help a little bit too. But no, I stayed out of their way. I, would, I don't want, I didn't want them to realize how little I knew. So uh, I avoided any confrontations like that. <laughs> that sounds smart. Let's, uh, let's go back to hoops a little bit. Hopefully we'll have you back calling some games in the coming months here. But what are, your, what are some of your favorite venues in the last few years to call games at? Walsh Auditorium, the best place to watch a basketball game. Uh, John knows what that is. That's the old gym at Seton Hall. Now, I used to love the old gyms, to be honest with you. You know, now the state of art is, is just incredible what they've been able to put up in terms of gymnasiums. But uh, MacArthur Court, Gallagher, Iba, uh, you know, everybody says Duke, and you have to really, it's just a uh, incredible atmosphere, but very tough for announcers because you're up in the ceiling. You know, you have no idea what's going on. You sort of, in some ways, miss the feel or uh, you know, the touch of, of, of the players, but mo- mostly the, the old buildings, you know, Williams Arena, uh, you know, they, well, Cole came in, which was beautiful too, out in uh, Wisconsin, but they, they their old building was great. Minnesota still uses theirs. Uh, I love that, that kind of an atmosphere. I'm probably leaving a couple out, but mostly the old ones, I guess, which goes with my age, maybe. Yeah, Excuse me. old school guy. Yeah, John and I have called a fair amount of games together at Walsh, and I had the UConn women there this year, and Gino had a lot of memories there. They'll obviously be back in the Big East. We'll probably right. get into that in a bit. Uh, but how about kind of along those same lines, favorite places to eat on the road for work? Oh, boy. By the way, I left out the palestra, by the way, which I should mm. not have, you know. And well, I, I agree gym. with that one. I'm a Penn you know, Quaker. Okay. Well, I was a LaSalle <laughs> guy, so that was our home court. In those days, yeah. we played all of our Big games five. there. Of course, that's changed quite a bit, you know. But, uh, you know, I always say any uh, – to answer your question, any place with a neon sign is okay with me. You know, <laughs> that lights up uh, restaurant-wise. But – uh, you know, you know the guy you should ask about the restaurants is Steve Shear, because he does two things well. Well, three. He produces great. Uh, he picks great restaurants, and then he picks up the check. So you can't beat that. I mean, that that's sort of the greatest little uh, tri- the triumvirate that you could have. But you know, every every city's got some place that we go. You know, uh, Moe's is one of mine because of the people out there. I've been going there since they opened up years ago in Milwaukee. So, uh, but along the lines, it's it's usually a place that the coaches recommend it, or uh, fans that you know, or people that live in the town recommend it. That you make the most of it. So, uh, every city's got a couple that you can switch. Basically, we do Italian most often. Uh, but it's a lot of the guys love their steaks and steaks and chops kind of so we have to go with the flow but i would say mostly the italian restaurants 
Raf, this is a question that we got in from a fan, and I think th- this is uh, some inside baseball, if you will, that that knows a thing or two about about social life for Coach Raf. And it's Bill, and he asks us now that poor Herbie's is closed, what's the new <laughs> late night hangout? Uh, well, you know, I'm not as late as I used to be. I lost a little of my game, but I start earlier, uh, so that that makes up for that. But uh, you know, Bottleville Inn is now poor Herbie's. And what's interesting is uh, the Horn family had Mayfair Farms, which was, you know, it's, it's still a wonderful banquet hall, but it was also a restaurant and Pal's Cabin. Well, one of the boys and his buddies opened up. They, uh, poor Herbie's was like an old line establishment. And, uh, you know, now it's a little dressed up and they still have the mushroom soup from Powell's cabin. But, you know, Sam's Nero and Chatham is a place that we go to most often. I would say, uh, when I'm in Jersey, uh, Sam, uh, you know, we, I've known him for years. He was a waiter. Now he owns this place, but, uh, that, that would be the place we go most often. Uh, Rod's is another place locally that we love. We love the the Kellers are phenomenal people that do a lot for charity and, uh, the community. So, you know, you, really you go, the food is important, but secondary, I think it's the people you're with. And of course, the people that run the place that make you feel comfortable and want you, want you to go to. Along those same lines, one of your top nicknames, if you will, is Uncle One More. When did that start? <laughs> uh, my brother-in-law, Bill Keegan, uh, gave me that, uh, just, uh, you know, as everybody does, your wife says, well, you should go home now. And I go, well, let's have one more. Come on, let's have one more. That's sort of how that started. But Uncle Bill Keegan, who was a Seton Hall grad, president of the student council years ago at Seton Hall, and has since passed away. But he was great at nicking people, giving them nicknames. So that's that's one he came up with. And Raph, a lot of people around John and I's age in our 20s, 30s, we know you pretty much just as a broadcaster. And I was I was trying to envision you as a coach. And I, I just feel like you're so nice that I couldn't imagine you yelling at players or anything like that. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. what Bill yeah. Raftree was like <laughs> as a coach? I was a nitwit. Uh, I was uh, crazed, I would say. I really got into the game with uh, you know, it's just things were different in those days. You were, it, it always seemed like you were fighting for your life because every game was Louis, Jimmy, John, uh, or the other Jimmy Calhoun, uh, you know, just Roly. So you always felt Louis, uh, you know, you were always against great teams with great coaches. And, uh, I guess you try to make your presence felt, so to speak. But, uh, you know, I, I, I did one, one interesting note years later, you know, after I stopped coaching, my wife said to me, how come the referees seem so much fairer now? And of course, that, that when you're on the sideline, you want every call and you think you're being taken advantage of. Uh, but uh, as you folks know, watching games, you know, these guys do an amazing job. It's, it's you know, it's just such a hard sport because of the speed of the game and the reaction of the kids and uh, just to do a, a job night in and night out is just, it's a task that is really difficult. And I think once I got out, I appreciated the referees a whole lot more. 
I tell you, my dad is going to be a big fan of this podcast. My dad, Bob Adams, was a a men's D1 official for 25 years. I don't don't know if he had you, but he was in the Big East in the 90s for about a decade. So he's going to like those words. (laughs) I remember the name, but I I don't. I was gone by then. Uh, PJ would have been the guy that he would have picked on your dad, maybe. Uh, Or or that group, uh, you know, that next group that sort of took over. Coach, PJ Absolutely. didn't pick on anybody. <laughs> PJ, that boy needs help, though. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he is a sad character, let me tell you. Uh, the, the, some of the most enjoyable moments I've had with him. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor. His vocabulary is very limited in, in, a, <laughs> uh, in, in, in terms of his selection of words. Uh, but uh, we do this USA basketball camp every year uh, in conjunction with the Olympic team. And he's the camp director. And Phyllis and I are the co-commissioners. Now, I ask you people, which would you say are more important, the commissioner or a, uh, a lowly camp director? <laughs> the commissioner. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, he, all he does is fight and argue and – uh, we have some of the great names in basketball, and he demeans them. Uh, you know, we'll do it. They do a selection, a draft, and, and a lot of these guys are up there in age. I mean, uh, you know, we've had seventy-year-olds and sixties, fifties, all the way down to the uh, late thirties, kind of, and uh, they all meet the room. And you can name anybody: Brad Stevens, Fratello, Izzo, Wright. They've all done this camp. And they all sit in the room, and of course, they sort of watch the players, but they don't pay attention at the draft that much. So somebody will pick a kid, you know, Sam Schwartz. And like two picks later, a guy like Israel will go, I'll take Sam Schwartz. And P.J. just loses his mind. How can you win a game? You don't even pay attention to the draft. You don't know he's gone. He was just picked. He was selected two minutes ago. You know, and that goes on with some words thrown in there too. So it's it's really the highlight of the week when he gets going. And Raph, you mentioned some of those other names from your heyday of coaching. Jim Calhoun was one of them, and now, of course, UConn returning to the Big East this season. Do you have any good stories or good reflections, uh, memories, your time with Jim? Oh well, Jim. Actually, I miss Jim. Uh, Don Perno was was actually with me. Jim came shortly thereafter, but uh, <clears throat> no, I, I, I'm I'm really happy, and I know it's a problem in the sense that here's another great team coming into the conference, and and I don't follow the high school kids or transfers that well, but um, I'm told they really have a good group coming in, so uh, they're going to be a factor. Uh, but you know, J- Jim was one of those guys on the sideline. Uh, he got a little bit excited here and there. And I, I used to say George Blaney and Dave Leto were the best checkout guys in the business. By that, on a timeout, Jim would come out and they would block him from going after the referees or a player or something like that. But, I mean, the proof in his coaching ability, he got that, I think it's Division Three St. Joseph's into the NCAA tournament last year. I think he had 21 or 22 wins. So, you know, he, he's just an amazing talent on the sideline. He just loves the game. He, he reminds me of Roley because Roley, uh, God bless him, before he passed away, he was down here coaching. It ended up Kaiser 
it was Northwood first and then Kaiser uh, University. And he coached all uh, into his 80s and just loved every minute of it. But in terms of uh, UConn, I mean, they're going to be a big-time factor in the conference, I think. I think their recruiting will be elevated because of the Big East. And I think the one thing about the conference is, you know, the kids that play in this league, they're not waking up wondering did Alabama win the football game. Uh, these kids are mostly, you know, they're basketball, uh, a basketball mentality. And uh, I just think they're going to be a big time factor as the years go on. And plus Danny Hurley, you know, speaking of characters on the sideline, it'll be fun to watch him. We'll have a camera cued on him, I think, when we do the Connecticut games. He's going to need a couple checkout guys. <laughs> yeah, but boy, he's all basketball, though. It's a yeah. great family, John, as you know. Uh, you know, Dad and Bobby and, of course, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're involved in Mom, Chris. You know, she used to keep score at the St. Anthony's games. I mean, it's a family game, really. Uh, you know, it, it's it's just a – he puts his whole heart into it. What can I say? Yeah. You know, everybody has a different way. Some people like to just relax and sit. Uh, some emote once in a while, and some do it for 40, you know. And I think Danny might be the 40. Uh, one of the one of the great personalities in the game, and to have him come into the Big East, uh, a guy who played at Seton Hall, too, in the 90s and has the kind of family he does, it, it'll surely be exciting in stores. It looks like the trajectory of that program is heading back in the right direction. And speaking of family, I know that – to many, he was like family to them. And with the ESPYs on Sunday night, be remiss to not bring up Jim Valvano and, and the kind of impact that he had um, on so many people within the sport. And I, I know that, Bill, you've talked about his rich personality and who he was. Uh, but what would you say is something uh, that people don't know about Jimmy V? Wow. Uh I think the biggest thing is he could he could have been anything he wanted and done well. Uh, I mean, just an extraordinary talent from a stand-up comedian, uh, just an amazing storyteller, uh, administrator, ran his own company, athletic director. Uh, he just possessed so many hats. Uh, you know, the amazing thing about him, too, is you know, he came – he started at UConn, I believe. I know he played at Rutgers, but – he was up there with D. Rowe, and then he went to Bucknell, and the rest is history. Uh, but even at Iona, he, he put them on the map in a sense. You know, uh, last time they were really renowned, Richie Gurham was playing in the 50s. And, you know, he got Jeff Rowland amongst other players and turned that program. I do remember, John, him sitting in my house. Uh, he came over to scout us, and we went out for dinner, and he came to the house. It was pretty early in the morning. And he's saying, he says to me, how's your contract? I said, what do you mean contract? You know, we did the seat and all was a handshake. He said, you mean you don't have a contract? How many years? You don't have a contract. Uh, you know, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, you got to you gotta get yourself an agent. I mean, he was like ahead of everybody. And, and I think John Calipari is the same in the sense that, uh, you know, they have that combine uh, the NBA started talking about it. the first to do it was John, uh, the pro combine and uh, bringing the scouts in and everything else. So I think Jim was the cutting edge kind of a guy too. And, and John sort of reminds me a lot of him in that particular area anyhow, but 
Jimmy was uh, the life of the party, uh, the last to leave kind of guy. Uh, just just an amazing capacity to entertain and have people. He loved people to laugh. And, uh, you know, he we, we did a insert uh, every Monday for ESPN late in his life. And it was a joy to talk during the day about what we were going to talk about at night. And, of course, we'd get on the air and never use anything we talked about because he would go in some other direction, you know, just to shake it up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, he was, uh, you know, as impressive in, in, in you know, the, the, his contribution in life was large. And in his passing, it's just been phenomenal what they've been able to do, he and the family and, and others who uh, partake in that, that venture, you know, the V-Fund. You mentioned Iona. And that is a school that has been very much in the news because back in college basketball, Raph, Rick Pitino taking over the Gales program. What is your reaction? I thought when you brought up Iona, you'd be talking about Kevin Willard, the president of Seton Hall, <laughs> Pat, all these Iona people working at Seton Hall. But, uh, well, you know. Tony Bazella. Yeah, Exactly. You know, Rick loves coaching, so it doesn't surprise me that he wanted back in. And, and you know, he's going to make a splash. Uh, I, I think they had seven or eight kids they recruited already. Um, and, you know, he, he's, again, probably trying to prove a point that, you know, one, he feels he's been wrong, uh, that he had, he never did anything uh, out of the ordinary, and I guess you know you have to say he's right, judging by the NCAA uh, thus far. And he just—he's a coach. I mean, he just loves the gym, and uh, he'll shake it up. I mean, the Mac—it'll uh, be a little different uh, sound of music there, because uh, he's a go-getter. Uh, these kids—we all know—they'll play hard. Uh, they'll be ready for every situation. You know, he's a master coach. Be looking for the Gales back in the big dance, Raph, in the coming years. And that's a tournament you've called many, many, many times, many final fours. Do you have a a favorite March Madness upset that you have been on the call for? Uh I'd say Mason over Connecticut to me. You know, Vern and I did that game and it was really the first what you would call non-major. Uh, to get to the final four. And then it was followed by the Butlers and Wichita State in the ensuing years. But to me, that was like the real shock. Uh, UConn was a, a, a number one seed. And uh, this team, you know, Jimmy Laranega got them ready. They were talented and they were old too, which really helps uh, as we've seen them more so recently. But for then, they had older players that were good and believed in themselves and were ready to sacrifice and contribute in any way they could. But that, that was one that like uh, jumped out. And, and, and the other one, everybody talks about Villanova uh, back in 85. And the reason I, I thought that was phenomenal was because there were three big East teams in it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised that Villanova won as much as the nation was because they had played Georgetown very close uh, a couple of times during the year, plus the, they didn't have the shot clock and the possession, uh, you know, was valued a lot by Roley in those days. So 
that that comes in because I think it gave a respectability tone to the conference to have three teams in it. So uh, it was like a monster step forward. To, it was like almost an announcement that they, they were alive and well and we're not going away. And, of course, as we know, things fell apart a little bit in terms of the football teams wanting a conference that would accommodate them and uh, what they've been able to do with this resurgence, Val and her office and the marriage of Fox with them, uh, very similar to the early one in 79 of ESPN marrying and uh, or, or starting up and marrying the Big East in those days. Uh, it just the similarity is, is uh, just incredible, to be honest with you. And, and I think the uh, that formation or that marriage uh, has enhanced the league. And certainly Fox is having a ball with it, too, but it's really an enhance the image of the league and you know they're they're a player i mean let's face it you know villanova certainly proves it as others have and unfortunately this year i think it would have been a great great year for the league uh, i think there would have been some amazing shocks uh presented by these teams uh, it was such a deep league and uh, you know just a shame that these kids didn't get a chance to show their wares Funny that you you mentioned that Mason-UConn game. I was actually at that game as well, Rap. My dad that I mentioned, he was the standby official for that one. So he was at the table oh. at the monitor. You may have uh, – hopefully you had some good things to say about I think he actually had some reviews he had to do in that game. But, that, yeah, I, I was in uh, D.C. with you for that one. Wow, wow. You should have come over and said hello, you know. I know. If only, I wouldn't have known at that point I would be a, a Fox Sports colleague in about 15 years. That would have been cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was a great atmosphere, too. You know, that uh, the building was, of course, because of, uh, you know, the local team in it. Uh, not that it's unusual to have a full house on a regional final, but it just there was a, an electricity there that sometimes might be missing because of, you know, two out-of-state teams might be in the final or the regional final, at any rate. But yeah, it was. It was. I think it was a uh, an eye-opener for a lot of people, and and I think it, it really started. Uh, you, you know, well, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, winning against Virginia. I think it was the beginning of teams saying in October. Then it was October fifteenth. Now they can start earlier. Saying, hey, look, we got. Let's go to work here. We, we, you know, just we got a lot of people who have been around. We believe in ourselves, and and I think it's it's a lot of kids now. Hey, why not us? And I I think that all started emanated from those days. Absolutely, and and you were talking about the Big East and how it's changed since realignment, and you're around the league a ton. What has surprised you the most about the league? since its realignment with about half the conference in the Midwest now? Well, I don't know if it's a surprise. I think the depth of the league, uh, you know, the addition of the Midwestern team certainly has enhanced it. Uh, the other end that's, that sort of amazed me is, you know, Chicago with the Paul and St. John's and, and Georgetown not being on top of their games the last few years, and yet the league – has just survived and advanced, so to speak. Speaking of Alvano, uh, like uh, the image and the reputation, and, and just think uh, the three biggest markets as well. Uh, so it's, uh, I just think that it's on a good foundation. It's deep. Uh, you know, you got to come to play every night. 
they're doing better in the recruiting battles and getting kids who want to play in this on this stage and and also in the garden certainly has a lot to do with it. Raph, we've got a couple rapid fire questions here from listeners. Here's okay. one from Mark. Did you know that Chris Jenkins shot was heading in in 2016 for Villanova? Yes. <laughs> we we had a great angle. You know, looking over his shoulder really. Uh you know, I couldn't hear him saying arch, 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 which is what supposedly he said on the slap back to him. And, uh, you know, just uh, just an amazing reaction by that kid. Big time goal. So, yes, we, we had a good angle on it. Chris, I was wrong on Hayward uh, when Butler, he had a shot against Duke with a screen at half court. And I thought that was going in too, but it just hit the glass and got the wrong side of the rim. So I'm not right all the time, you know, John. Hey, you're enter- you would you would reflect on this, right? Being being courtside, what's more important? I mean, of course, accuracy is important, but I know you've talked about this. What you seek to do when you get on a show, um, it's not about a hundred percent being always absolutely perfectly correct, but uh, the entertainment value I know is something that's always on your list at the top, rather than searching through your notes and making sure somebody shoots 37.5%. <laughs> well, that's for you guys. The play-by-play guys do all those numbers. Uh, no, I, I, I guess everybody, uh, you you do what uh, you've sort of been raised to do, you know, in terms of your vocabulary, uh, the enjoyment factor, you know, family, pals, uh, you know, classmates, teammates. Uh, so many influences in what you are and i and i think that's what basically you're supposed to do is you know they're they want you to be you and until they get tired of you you better stay you who do you credit for your start in broadcasting well i i would say bob wolf uh bob and then dave gavitt certainly but bob uh did our we were in the nit when i was at LaSalle. And he came down, and our coach said, "Why don't I want you to take him to dinner after practice?" And uh, when he left the campus, he was doing the game on CBS that Saturday uh, in New York. And he said, uh, "You know, I don't know what you're going to do, playing or coaching or whatever, but when you're done, you ought to think of, uh, you know, my my career or my business, a communication world." So that stuck with me. And then, of course, Dave Gavitt's the one that gave me the opportunity to get going and you know fortunately from that the nets and cbs and espn and all that stuff took place so i would say those two and raf we've mentioned a bunch of successful coaches past and present here in our conversation who are some of the coaches or even just one coach that you maybe identify a, a newer coach a younger head coach that you think kind of is on that that next it's going to get to that next level with Calipari with Izzo with Jay Wright who who have you identified boy I don't know that's a tough one uh the reason I say it's tough is where do they come from you know is it a Duke assistant or is it a guy that you know works hard division three division two and then gets that opportunity uh boy I'm not avoiding you but uh, you know there's 
it's it's a difficult i don't like to zone in on one person anyhow but you know there's so many good guys out there it's just opportunity has to strike and give them a chance and a lot of people hire from within a program you know if it's a you know an assistant under some big name uh, people generally go that way but uh, I don't know. Just one one name would be hard for me. It's so unique, Phil, because when you think about the state and the sport in college basketball, one constant remains in many respects. Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, Jim Beheim, obviously uh, Tom Izzo, John Calipari are others, but those guys have just been so synonymous with the game, now Rick Pitino back in the sport for so long that as – a mid-20-year-old that is a big follower of the sport, I am curious when these guys do hang it up, what happens to the coaching Mount Rushmore of current coaches in the sport? Well, longevity, you know, like fine wine. Uh, here we are talking about drinking again, but I, I think, uh, you know, the longer you are in a program, uh, those names you mentioned had the opportunity to be established. Uh, and regaled. Uh, so I, I just think it's, you know, getting the job and being able to stay. Uh, you know, Jay Wright staying certainly at, at Villanova, uh, plus the success. Uh, so I, I, I do think that that's hand in hand, that there's always going to be somebody doing on the block. You know, Dean Smith was there, and, and, you know, Roy came along and certainly, you know, just, you know, overwhelmed in the sense the, uh, the one loss record that Dean had. So I, I just think there'll be new guys coming along that, you know, success will come. You know, maybe it's, you know, you mentioned Danny Hurley earlier. If he stays in Connecticut a long time, I think he's going to be very successful. I think you're going to find that in a lot of places. Matt Painter uh, is really respected out at uh, Purdue. Uh, he stayed there. And I, I think a lot of guys do jump around, but I think they get the Mount Rushmore, usually the guys that do between 20 and 30 some odd years at one place. We have a question from Patrick. He asks, how do you think LaSalle basketball can be relevant again? Well, I, th I think they did a nice job. Ash did a great job this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as we were talking about Philly before, uh, you know, it's the arena they have is not one of the best, obviously. And that's a shortcoming, but Ashley's been able to get kids that uh, want to go there. He's big in Philly, uh, as you know, as a Villanova assistant. He's wired. His dad, Mo, was one of the great players out of Maryland and, and Philly uh, High School. So I, I just think him staying there, getting those kids, and he's got an ear for kids who want to come home, too. And I think, you know, that that's part what is that he's going to have to do is you know, keep his ear open, his eyes open uh, to 20 kids who may be unhappy or didn't get the playing time they expected. So uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see him the next couple of years. And everybody there has just enjoyed him, loved what he's been able to do. And, uh, you know, they've been respectable. So we're happy for him and the school. Raph, we'll end with a story. Harry asks, craziest story from the early oh. years of the Big East? Craziest story, oh my God. <laughs> uh, craziest story, well, 
I, I got a cute story, and it was the craziest story. But uh, Lou Conasek and Roly were playing one another, and I used to tease them that they'd like to win two to one. You know, uh, they'd like to hold the ball and, and make, make you know play really solid defense, no bad shots. Any other playing at Villanova, and in the middle of the game, I see Roly and uh, Louie arguing, and I'm their best friends. I'm going, what the heck is going on? I'm not even watching the game as they argue. Well, apparently there was a bad call against uh, a bad call that Villanova was the recipient of getting. And Roley said to Louis, Louis, can you believe that call? Like he was apologizing. And Al LaBalba, who was on the bench, he and Roley were, you know, pals from North Jersey. And, you know, every once in a while they'd have a falling out. And Lou couldn't hear, so he said to Al, hey, Al, what did he say? And Al said, he called you a hot dog. And Louis said, I'm no hot dog. What are you telling me I'm a hot dog for? So that, those kind of things happened often with different coaches having disagreements. And that's what Dave was all about, uh, you know, not, not disagreements, but ironing things out that were said in recruiting or in a distasteful way. And uh, that's how they were able to maintain friendships and, and get along so well. You know, your game producer, Steve Shear, told me that I had to ask you about Louis Karnasek at the Met Basketball Writers' Center. Well, <laughs> uh, well, Valvano would be another one like that. But Louis was the king. It was at Leon Bamaleone's. He got served first. You know, he got the best, best seat, the best food. Uh, I think he was related to half the waiters in those days, but uh, <laughs> he, he he would say some funny things, obviously. Some not to be recorded, but uh, those were great old days. Shushevsky was there, too, because he was an army. So you'd have Valvano, Shushevsky, you know, Tommy Penders, uh, Louis, uh, Tom Young from Rutgers, Pete Carrill. I mean, we, you know, those were festive occasions. To be a fly on the wall. Well, Bill, I'm glad to know you and your family are doing well. And Kim and I are really appreciative of you taking the time. They continue to be well, and hopefully we see you in just a matter of months. Thanks, Sean and Kim. Take care. Bring him to Philly again, one of those hoagies. Yeah, I got to bring him to Wawa. Get some cheese steaks. <laughs> just great to have Raph on the show. And while we are in some unprecedented times, I know that that phrase has been used the last three months. Felt like everybody could use that. Just some fun stories, and he had me laughing away. I mean, that that guy is just, he's an absolute legend, Kim, and he is so genuine. You know, on the air, of course, he, he gets even more exciting than just like if you're sitting with him at the dinner table. But by the same token, uh, I've gotten a chance to know get to know him personally and, and have a couple of those legendary raft nights. And I'm just amazed at how genuine of a person he is. Yeah, that's why I had to ask him about the coaching because, you know, a lot of coaches I had, they are not the nicest they're always yelling at you and I just, I couldn't imagine Bill Raftery like getting in a player's face and screaming at them but you know he obviously he was very competitive as a player and as a coach and I'm sure he's different as a broadcaster but you're right I don't I've briefly met him in passing at different Big East tournaments but I mean just a guy that everybody loves everybody who's spent time with him has a story about him and it's cool to see him now as a grandparent and just talking about the time he spent with his family. 
but just he's an encyclopedia of, of college basketball. We could have spent a whole day talking to him. Let's turn to the major story in college basketball on this Monday as we tape. It's Kate Cunningham, the top prospect in college basketball heading into the upcoming season, looking like a number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft, potentially. Cunningham is remaining at Oklahoma State. The Cowboys, who as of right now are going to be ineligible for the NCAA tournament because of their level one NCAA violation that was committed by previous assistant Lamont Evans. All those people are out of the program now, but Oklahoma State is going to face infractions from that postseason ban to being on probation to getting some scholarships taken away. And Kate Cunningham was offered $500,000, an NBA G League contract with the the new G League program that will serve to be that quick fix for players uh, before the, the elimination of the whole one and done, that they can just go straight to the NBA. Cunningham could have taken that route, gone to the G League, and then gone to the NBA draft, taken his half a million. Instead, he is staying loyal to Mike Boynton, the head coach at Oklahoma State. Boynton thinks that the appeal to the NCAA on that violation, of course, could go through, but there's no guarantee on that. The point is, in an era where we are seeing kids try to build their brand, try to go pro, and look, all the power to them, it says a lot for college basketball that Cunningham, who is not going to experience the big dance in all likelihood, is going to stay with the Cowboys instead of taking his money. I was shocked by that news, John. When I first heard it, I put myself in his shoes, and I, I would have gone the G, the new G League route without a question. I mean, if there was ever a perfect case to try out this new G League pattern and make some money, and in a year with so much uncertainty to begin with in college basketball, to know that you're not going to have any postseason play, I mean, I would have thought that's the easiest answer of the year. So I was genuinely shocked by this I know maybe a factor that could have played his part his brother is an assistant coach at Oklahoma State that's really the only thing that I can gather that may have made him made that decision to stay there but from my perspective if if you're a one and done type player you're not going to the school for the education you're not going there to get a degree so for me if that if that were me I'd at least want to play in the big dance. I'd at least want to get a shot at the Final Four to play in front of 70,000 fans. I mean, I think as a young basketball player, that's kind of all you dream of. Um, So for me, I I just couldn't believe that he made this decision when, you know, you could do this G League plan, you'll get good practice, and you'll get a nice amount of money as well. Um, So it, it was shocking to me, John. I'm not sure about you. Well, it was surprising to me as well. I guess the question here is, with the level of unknowns right now in our our sports world in general, uh, the G League program carries unknowns because all we know is that it's a thing. It's an option for a kid. What are you curious with this G League program and Do you think that it serves as a better option than the year of development under a college coach? I think what I question is the level of competition. Because it seems like they're they're not going to be playing a typical 
G League schedule. They're going to be playing some select games that are almost exhibitions. So what I think is great about the program is, you know, you're, you're already a professional basketball player. You don't have to worry about going to class or other responsibilities that you would have as a student athlete. And you can work with skills trainers and strength coaches. I would, I would be curious to see what the level of those coaches are, as like you said, going to play for a top coach where you know you're going to develop. Um, but what what I really question is the level of competition, uh, because in college basketball, you know, everyone gives their all every game, especially conference play. Uh, you're you're forced to perform. Every game is a battle. You're learning to compete. You're you're learning to compete in close game situations and championship game situations so kind of the drawback for me is what's the level of competition going to be for this new g league team what do you think about the state of college basketball right now well obviously you have to first consider what's what's going on in the world with the pandemic um i think everything is so up in the air We've we've seen, you know, all of these numbers continuing to rise. Uh, schools are back on campus for workouts and teams are reporting positive COVID cases in the right. 20s and the 30s. So I think first you have to you have to press pause for a second, even for the NBA and the WNBA that are supposed to resume in the coming weeks in Florida. Florida is seeing their highest cases they've ever mm. seen. So I think people still have to press a pause on is it that important is it that significant to return to sports is business that important where we're willing to literally risk the lives of our athletes so obviously that's first and foremost and then when it relates to college basketball john we've mentioned i don't i don't think this new g league program is going to have a big hit on the ncaa at all when you're talking about just a handful of top players who are only going to be there for a year to begin with. Um, so I, I just hope we're getting college basketball back at some point. It's going to look different this year. Um, travel is going to be different. You know, conferences may not be able to play each other if they're in different regions of the country. Um, but overall, if you were if you were to take away the pandemic, which obviously we can't, but other than that, I think this the sport of the state, sorry, state of the sport <laughs> is still in a very good well, place. Well, I, I think that those things are true. I do think that this is a critical time in the sports history that goes way beyond a pandemic. And that is in relation to, in general, college athletes benefiting off their name, image, and likeness. What happens with that issue? How do we see that process go over the next year? And does it actually get implemented for the 2021-22 year? Because the NCAA has been very adamant about needing Congress to pass these things, put them into action, and there doesn't seem to be uniformity at all from state to state on this issue, which means you could see the NCAA go through some rocky times, and you could see some schools and some conferences say, hey, we've got this set up in California. Our Pac-12 athletes, this is what they're going to do. I'm really curious to see how you navigate through such times of uncertainty we're talking about playing games right now as the priority, but there's so many other things they've got to figure out from a uniformity standpoint. And then we did have Dan Gavitt on the show, and if you haven't listened to that interview, you could check it out. 
here on Full Court Press. And Dan said, in relation to the transfer rule in college basketball, with around 1,000 transfers now in the sport, he brought up the fact that coaches are trying to put a proposal down to have a student-athlete be eligible for immediate transfer. They want to sit out a year, with the exception of a freshman going into his sophomore season. And he said there's some legs to that. Now, that is a fascinating storyline to me because I do think that it could quell a lot of the frustration that coaches have with maintaining some sort of roster sanity. Because if you have a freshman who doesn't get a lot of playing time, he gets mad, his parents get mad, he just decides to move and he can be immediately eligible. Perhaps this gives some sort of roster maintenance that allows guys to develop into roles still within the sport. I think that's what coaches are overly concerned about, and I get that concern. But I am curious to see what kind of a ruling the working group with the transfer situation comes to in the sport of college basketball because, Kim, we've already got around 1,000 transfers. It's getting hard to track everybody. In fact, it's impossible to do so. What is immediate eligibility going to cause for a 19-year-old who one night just wakes up in the middle of the night and says, you know what? I don't want to play for this coach anymore. I'm going to go to my next stop, and I can go immediately. The transfer the transfer situation is insane, and I, I think they do need to get a handle on it. And like you said, I think there's really a culture right now where with not waiting your time, uh, not waiting for your moment, putting in the work. I think if, if people aren't starting as a freshman, they were highly touted in high school, you know, they have all the social media clips, this and that, the highlights, and it's not easy to go to college and and be a student athlete. It's not easy whatsoever. Um, I'm a, I'm an interesting case, I guess, because I, I did consider transferring after my freshman year. Talked to some people who said, you know, a lot of a lot of freshmen want to transfer. I didn't transfer. Uh, I went back. If I could look back now. Uh, I'm an interesting case because I played in the Ivy League where we don't have scholarships. So basically, if I wasn't if I wasn't going to transfer after my freshman year, you're not going to transfer because you've already paid paid your way for school. I didn't get a dime to go to school. I would say if I was in my situation at a different school where I was on scholarship, I think I would have transferred. Um, I think, you know, you should give it a shot. I think you should at least play into your sophomore year and see how things work out. But kids these days are too quick to say, I want to be starting as a freshman. I want to be averaging 15 points a game. Um, And if they're not an immediate star, they're going to look to go somewhere else. And I hate to say it, but the grass isn't always greener. No, and what I would say is this. It it can be, but, but and it's up to a kid. But one thing you could think about is name, image, and likeness. The ability to benefit off that. Let's say there's a a player at Villanova, Kim, because you're in the Philly area, and he decides to be a spokesman for the local auto dealer. Perhaps there is something to be said about building relationships as a student-athlete, and maybe the name, image, and likeness element of this keeps a student-athlete at a school or adds to the benefits of being at that particular school. The, The whole element of business being factored into this for a student-athlete to benefit off of, could really open up a couple of new doorways for them to stay at a campus. And if they're a good negotiator and have good people in their circle, and that's what it comes down to, perhaps that builds relationships and and causes a student-athlete to to say, hey, you know what? 
I'm going to stay at School X for another year. I'll develop my game, and I don't need the money right now that I would get going pro to the G League or having the NBA if I got to the NBA or going overseas. I can stay in school one more year and continue to make money off my endorsement deals and build my draft stock even more over the course of that year and then go to the NBA and have the best of both worlds while getting a college degree. I mean, that's the dream scenario for the college side of this. There's going to be kids who still go and leave early for the NBA because that life to them, and maybe if it's the timing in their circle, that happens. But I do think that there's a couple elements here that are all intertwined, and that's why I think that this is such an important year in college basketball. Look, pandemic is very much in our world, but pandemic aside, like you said earlier, it's a massive year for the sport. How they navigate these waters could define what the sport is, though, for the next decade plus. Yeah, I just, I, it just seems like such a tough time to have to make these decisions. And that's that why they put them off. Going to, yeah, I, I don't think you can make any long-standing decisions that are going to change the landscape of the sport moving forward at this time. You, you just can't do that. I, I do think there is a lot that can be changed, but I feel like that is all on the back burner right now. There's there's just too much going on to say we're going to change this that has been in the foundation of college basketball and and we're going to upend everything now while a pandemic is going on. I think, you know, everything's got to be on the back burner for a year or so. Sure. Well, on that note, another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is in the books. Thanks again to the governor, Bill Raftery, for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Ben Wolfen edits the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. And while we are in these unprecedented times, we've tried to hear Pure Hoops Media keep on forging ahead with the basketball and try to continue to bring everybody together, no matter the topic, whatever it is. We've had some great voices, and we do encourage you to check out our other Pure Hoops Media shows. We've got Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. That's every Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt drops by with buckets, boards, and blocks. On Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And on Mondays, it's the Mike Wise Show. John and I always back with you every Tuesday with Full Court Press with Fanta and Adam. So please check them all out. As John said, download them, rate and review them. And most of all, enjoy them. We will see you next week for another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.